Hey guys, Greg Medford, welcome to the Greg Medford Show. We are Wednesday here in Phoenix, Arizona. The weather is crazy outside, super sunny and clear. It's awesome. <laughs> Standard hey, day. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some Arizona politics. It's got a lot of national uh, implications. We, uh, you know, so often you guys hear me gripe at, at, about politics on the national level, and there are a few things that are going on. Uh, where us border states are really kind of relevant to what's happening for you folks in Nebraska and you folks in the Midwest and you folks up in the Northeast. Uh, you know, we're all impacted by the porousness of our country. And while they've got our own citizens on lockdown and they're quarantining our own citizens and they're curtailing our own liberties and our own freedom and our own travel and they're <laughs> ticking down on the clock to the point at which us patriots say no in a very affirmative way, while that time is uh, being... Uh, trying to is being played with is being poked and prodded while that's going on we've let almost two million people into across the border this year i think uh estimates are 2.1 million by the close of the year i think we're at 1.8 million right now and that's just guessing uh just based on daily apprehensions and uh what they're seeing from drones and the amount of people they see processing with thermal imaging at the border so we're going to uh talk a little bit about that today we're going to talk about some arizona politics i think if there's anything that um we've seen the last year for those of you who are new to politics and those of you who have just started listening to my political thing because of my kind of folksy southwestern uh uh approachability with to the subject if there's anything we can maybe take away from all of the polit po political wrangling of the last year, it's that these positions really do matter when we feel our elections don't matter, when we feel like our vote doesn't matter, when we feel like, oh, you know, I show up for the, the federal, I show up for the presidential. The, if you look at what happens with rogue senators, how much a senator can have a sway in the nation. If you look what happens with governors like uh, Greg Abbott or, or DeSantis, you can see governors, and it doesn't, it, you know, it helps that they're big states, but little states that have kind of a baller attitude towards the Constitution and the Republic, those folks make a difference. When you, you know, when you're one of 50 executives across the nation uh, for the 50 states, um, whether it's New Hampshire or whether it's uh, North Dakota or whether it's uh, California, Florida, or Texas, or New York, a governor <clears throat> has the platform to sway the conversation and make room for the other other governors. Um, there is any, you know, if there's what we know about people is we are in competition. We like to compete. We know about super. Comp uh, super successful individuals they like to compete and when you've got somebody who's willing to stand in the storm stand against um the tide and stand up for the right when everyone's taking the easy choice for the wrong those people make room for other folks who are close to doing it and it's like uh, that old arlo guthrie song it becomes a movement and it's really important as we elect our senators as they come along and it's really important as we elect our state governors um, it's really important that we vet these folks we question them and we find folks who've got more than a party but they've got a soul and they're voting with integrity and they bring their morality uh, in many ways to the office or we might as well just check a red box or a blue box and that's not what we need so uh, in that light, we're uh, tickled today to have uh, Major General Mick McGuire in here. He's uh, our guest. We're going to talk. He's a 
candidate for, I believe, Mark Kelly's Senate seat, right? Yep, taking on Mark Kelly. Send him back to space. We would like to send Mark Kelly to space. God love him for being a patriot and an astronaut and blah, 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 but get rid of him. Um, the last thing we need are any more mamby-pamby middle of the roads in this state. You know, uh, thanks for being here. I want to talk just a little bit, give everybody a brief. He's got 38 years, retired United States Air Force, did his training originally at uh, Shepard. Yep. Wichita okay. Falls, Texas. And then where'd you do your, did you guys do in the Air Force? Did you do lead-in? Where'd you do your fighter Yeah, school? I did uh, my uh, fighter lead-in was in Holloman, short uh, out in uh, New Mexico, you know, Almagordo. You, you know Beak, by the way? Uh, General? Beak. Is his call sign? As I know I, a I, lot of Beaks, but yeah. From, he up. was a F-117 uh, wing commander out of Holloman? I, I was there in 88. Oh, so okay. Probably a little bit after your time. Yeah. And then I uh, went out to McDill Air Force Base for my initial F-16 checkout, and my first operational assignment was up at Hill in the suburbs of uh, Salt Lake City, Hill Air Force Base. Yeah. That's where I deployed uh, in August of 90 from there over the first Gulf War. Spent seven months over there. Cool. Hill was, mm -hmm. um, they have a great air show there. I did the first, uh, my first big air show that I flew was uh, at Hill Air Force Base. Oh, yeah, it's great. Um, it was great because uh, I remember I, you know, they cleared me in hot to the airfield and uh, I'm doing rolls down towards the runway and they got the Wasatch Mountain yep. kind of big in the background. Oh, yeah. I All I know is I looked down and I just saw, I can I just a, a moment I had a sense of the crowd as everybody looked up and it, everyone's face <laughs> went white. I said, it's the whitest air show I ever went to in my entire life. Um, so mm, let's see, 2000, when, when did you get out of the Air Force? So I spent uh, 14 years, uh, like I said, first assignment at Hill, then was an instructor here at Luke here in the Valley, an F-16 instructor, went from there to Nellis to the Fighter Weapons School, the Air Force Top Gun yep. stuff, and then spent uh, my last operational tour uh, was at Isleson Air Force Base in Fairbanks, Alaska. And then uh, my wife and three daughters relocated to Tucson to the 162nd Fighter Wing in uh, 2001. My family was originally from Arizona all the way back to 1930. So I separated after 14 years of active duty, figured I'd retire down there as an F-16 instructor, spent about 12 and a half years there, and then uh, had some uh, issues here at the state headquarters with the 8,300 soldiers and airmen in all 15 counties, and Governor Brewer assigned me to be the commanding general and adjutant general of the Guard, as well as the state emergency manager. So I came up to Phoenix. and uh, So she pulled you out of the flying side and pulled yeah, you over the leg, last, leg management yeah, that's side. That's right. My, exactly. My last uh, F-16 sortie was September 5th, 2013. So I had about 4,000 hours at that point. Cool. Have you done any flying since? You do any flying out in the civilian world, or just I have not. A whole I have military. Not. I've, I've had a lot of uh, flying around in the back of a Blackhawk a lot in, yeah. uh, in the last eight years and yeah. doing that kind of stuff. Okay. Cool. Uh, are you acclimating to? I mean, does everybody call you General these days, or they call you Mister McGuire or Mick? What's yeah, everyone call you? Call me uh, when you're running for U.S. Senate. You can call them uh, whatever they, they want. It, it depends they on how you. they feel that day. As long as we get two million. <laughs> yeah. Two million voters that say, I pick Mick. That's what we need. So um, give me an idea where you're at in the process right now. Are you still getting signatures to be on the ballot? Yeah, I'm, I'm about uh, three-quarters of the way through that process. I've driven 25,000 miles in just uh, coming up on 22 weeks. I've done events in 14 of the 15 counties in this state. My strategy is very clear, Greg. Uh, you made We were talking when we in the lead-in. There's a very real tension, a very real sense of fear. A sense of abandonment, you know, like you said, check the red block, check the blue block. It doesn't matter that I get forgotten either way. And a sense of what's next. You know, I did a thing yesterday on Newsmax and the, and the reporter was asking me about missile tests in Russia 
coming on the weeks of hypersonic missile tests in China. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, are you surprised? And the reporter said, what? I said, we can't even stop a bunch of 18-year-olds from breaking and entering into Nordstrom's in San Francisco. Right. What makes China, Russia, Hamas, Iran, North Korea believe that Biden's serious about leadership in any way? Right. I mean, you got to have your own house in order before you have world order. You know what I mean? Exactly. And and uh, and I don't mean new world order. I mean, and I've, I, you know, I talked about this so much in the fallout from the election, and I can't talk too much about the election or I get kicked off YouTube constantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was I, I was heartened by the voting trends of people of color. I see them waking yep. up and changing. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I knew that would happen because the weight of our ideas, if you can get them through the buzz of the of the current media establishment, our ideas just win. Our they do. I and when you pull people, regardless of color, when you pull them away from buzzwords and parties, they answer very conservatively. They answer very pro safety. They answer very pro uh, police and community, and and they don't answer woke. Oh, yeah. I did an event last night down in Chandler. A woman came up to me who, 13-year immigrant from Russia. And she said to me, General, I've never seen anything like this. We are submitting to Marxist ideology, and no one seems to care. She says, why I'm here. I became a citizen, and she said, I can go out and get you all the immigrants. I know people from Venezuela and from Colombia and from Brazil and from Uzbekistan. Yeah. That say, no, 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 that's not why we're here. Right. We're not here to go back to Marxist ideology. Right. And and Washington warned us about this. George Washington, uh, right? Yeah, in his farewell address. Yeah, yeah. He said, look, tyranny of the majority, he feared far more than tyranny of the individual. Tyranny of the majority is 50 plus one, Greg. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, we've got, there's this uh, kind of moderate goodness to America that wants everyone to kind of come together to ideas. And those are nice platitudes. But, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want to kill somebody, you don't negotiate with that. You go, no, we're not doing that. You right. don't go, okay, well, how about half that? Just chop off an arm and a leg, right. maybe. Right. We've got people trying to kill our country, and we've got people trying to negotiate with them. And right. that's the way I feel oh, about yeah. Build Back Better. That's the way I feel about the bills they're pushing forward and their agendas oh, that yeah. come forward. And I'm 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 tired of people in the middle. I'm tired of folks going to the middle. I'm like, quit going to the middle. Let's hammer some of this ridiculousness. Well, you you, I uh, we talked just before we came on the air about seeing your Veterans Day podcast, and and I feel a similar way, that when I go through an airport and I see these great young men and women that wear the cloth of the nation. And someone says, thanks for your service. I feel like, and I, I, I mean this, the depth of patriotic capital that exists in Arizona is deeper than any of their 50 states in this great nation. Go through Sky Harbor in your uniform. Someone's going to stop you. How do we build that depth of patriotic capital? It's on the idea of the greatness of service. And what I see happening right now is an administration, a guy like Mark Kelly, being for completely open borders. And I put it in military parlance. We talked about China. In 2020, 90,000 Americans died of fentanyl or opioid-derived overdoses. Right. You are in an infantry battalion. That is 700 and inf 750 infantry battalions. Imagine, Greg, I, I, if we had lost I, I 750 infantry battalions in 2020 in Afghanistan. It'd be a shitstorm. It would right. be a shit show. Yeah. That's all we would be talking about. Right, right. Well, I, uh, you know, I, 
I, I talk about this constantly and, you know, just because someone's not shooting you in the head at the moment, and this is this, you see this pervasiveness in leftist thinking, okay? It's the same leftist thinking that puts rules of engagement in war zones that makes us unable to yeah. stop the caliphate, which as soon as the, R, the rules of engagement changed, the caliphate was shut down. You know, it was like flipping a big switch, right? right? We all watched that happen in real time. And it, it tells you a lot about pass, passivity, passiveness. Right. And while we've got a nation that is clearly, I mean, there has never been a country that is more an enemy to the United States than what we're experiencing right now. And it is worse than the Cold War. That's right. Um, there is a hot digital war going on. There is a stealing. You know, who we are, watch somebody have Parkinson's in your life. Or not Parkinson's, I'm sorry. Um, watch somebody go through dementia and... Yep. And watch, um, what's the one where you forget? Alzheimer's. <laughs> and watch someone in our family go through Alzheimer's and we see the disappearance of them. Mm -hmm. We're, our ideas are who we are. That's right. Our stuff that we make is who we are. It's the physical embodiment of our extension of our spirit into the universe. Right. How do we project our ideas out to our fellow man to make life better? Right. They're stealing it from us. That's right. And, and you know, as I mentioned, 90,000 Americans died. 90% of all the fentanyl in the world is produced in China. Now, you and I know right. this about authoritarian CCP control. Is there anything that's happening? A movement of a truck, production at a facility, at a commercial-grade pharmaceutical company that every member of the leadership of China doesn't know about. Right. They know about They're it. They're in on it. They're in on it. Exactly. I know. I know. And and so people, you know, like I deal with this guy's like, oh, your knives are too expensive. I go, hey, just so you know, that's the real cost of making high-end knives in the United States. And if you want to compare it, you know, it's probably a six to one comparison to buy a, a Chinese made knife versus an American made knife. And I see this in every industry that they touch. So the the company is state-owned, the infrastructure is state-owned, the state is underwriting their capital infrastructure and their risk. And then what they do is they copy our stuff and they put it into the market at zero risk. It runs right. through it runs through the ports and Trump was stopping it. And now the floodgates wide open. I have more uh, knockoffs of my products coming in now than ever before. And then all of these websites that everyone uses like Amazon and eBay, there's absolutely zero impetus for them to stop this wholesale theft of retail goods that's going on yeah and and so the chinese the, they're they've said hey you know what we don't let's not get into a gunfight with america we want their success let's just take their success right they're just you know the the reason you used to have these old wars the last extension of political might and will was so that you got something out of it or stopped something they were taking from you right now they're just taking it right they and, skipped the whole war part. I mean, it's right. it's a game of go, and they're winning right now. That's right. And we uh, and and you mentioned earlier. You know, we this tension that we feel in the country. You and I are in Phoenix right now, and I'll tell you what: you go out to the rural counties in America, and in the thirteen rural counties in this state, they feel completely abandoned and forgotten by the urban areas. For sure, they feel abandoned, and and you and I know this. You know this as well as anybody. Those rural counties can get along just fine in this state without the two urban counties. But we can't we get, can't make get it along a day without, without them. them. No. And that's why this is we're all in this together. Yeah. And that's why when you said earlier, all the votes count. We need them all. Yeah. You know, the other thing is uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Electoral College. And I feel like the people who are interested in listening to what we have to talk about a lot of times aren't armed 
uh, for their Christmas dinner conversations with their lefty friend mm -hmm. or their lefty family member in from right. wherever. I mean, we've all got somebody we want. How the hell are we related to them? <laughs> so, you know, I I like to, the the reason for many of you out there watching the reason for the electoral college and this uh, spreading out of power structure in the United States is so that the provinces didn't become serfs to the cities. You know, when you're out in the 90% of the country, 98% of the country, which is rural, they're not all supposed to be serfs and subjects of New York, Los Angeles, Dallas, and Miami. Right. Exactly. Uh, that's the way to spread the power out, and that enfranchises all states, both rural and urban. And uh, we have to make these arguments and show that this balance is what makes it work. An imbalance would have never been... Nobody would have signed that constitution. Absolutely. And the Republic will fall apart without it. Yeah, I, I was at... Uh... I got selected to do this, uh, by extension, American foreign policy seminar course at Harvard, clerical error, I think. I get in there, and at the end of the first week, these PhDs that have more degrees than I've ever even thought about yeah. having say to us, what's the greatest threat to the, to the United States? And somebody says Russia, somebody says China, somebody says North Korea, Iran. They get to me. I said, the greatest threat to the republic is the republic. Yeah. Election. In and they looked at me, what? I said, are you kidding me? Any kinetic, you, you made the comment about China and a shooting war, any kinetic attack on the United States will just calcify our resolve. Right. So start an information war, start poisoning the people, start exploiting the weakness of the leadership in the open borders. And that's what they're doing. Exactly. They're, pour, they're pouring money into the agitator groups that normally we'd be kind of right. keeping an eye on. You know, normally BLM would be a kind of an FBI group to kind of keep an eye on because right. mm, these these guys could board, they could slip over into terrorism really fast. What's going on is they're getting millions and millions of dollars funneled to them, and a lot of it's coming from China. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the the power of uh, a republic. We're a constitutional republic, but think about what the media does. You know, and you mentioned uh, President Trump. I tell, I say this all the time on the stump. His greatest accomplishment, and there were many, but his greatest accomplishment was this, Greg. You see anything printed in the media today, you question it. <laughs> yeah, you question it. It, it doesn't matter what it is, where it's <sighs> from, or where the source. You question it. Love him or hate him. Anybody who fought him had to come out. You, you, you couldn't you couldn't fight him from the shadows because he's willing to roll up his sleeves and walk out right, in the street. Right. You had to roll up your sleeve. We know how many dirty, rotten commies are in this country right now. Well, and there's the, a bunch of them. And the media is all of them. Is 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 willing to say and do whatever they need to to advance an agenda. It's interesting. So you see the traditional media establishment has really kind of crumbled around us and it's turned into a farce. And But there's a generation of folks who are our age and older who still watch the news and think that right. they're, that's their, they're doing their citizen job to kind of stay informed right. in what's going on. And unfortunately, they're being, they've been led astray because I talk to really reasonable good folks who are as uninformed, uh, ill-informed and, and misinformed. And uh, I scratch my head and go, well, where did you get that from? And I forget, there's a lot of people watch NBC Nightly News and they think they're informed on what's going on. Well, and, you know, you mentioned the power of the states and, and you know, I don't know what we're going to touch on today, but I want to quickly remind you why I'm in this race. That's my first question. Okay, so um, it's January 8th of 2021 and talk about the power of independence in states. 50 governors, three territories and the commanding general of the District of Columbia, 54 adjutants general, I call it the Roman Senate. Each of us co-equal 
in our power, New Hampshire, the same as Arizona, same as Florida, the same as Texas. Not all the size, same size formations, as I said, right. 8,300 soldiers and airmen. January 8th rolls around. Uh, we're three days removed from uh, losing uh, two Senate seats in Georgia. We're 48 hours removed from the uh, interruption of the Electoral College vote, and, which then subsequently took place at about 2 in the morning on the 7th. I'm summoned to a call with uh, Acting Secretary of Defense Chris Miller, Mark Milley, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the other seven members, and my 53 colleagues. They tell me this, Greg, you need to arm 6% of the Guard in the great state of Arizona, put them in full battle rattle, and send them to D.C., now, I went to basic training on July 5th, 1983. I was taught early on that as an officer, and you know this as a guy that served in the infantry, my role was to judge and promulgate legal, moral, ethical orders. So I come up voice and I ask the acting Secretary of Defense, Chris Miller, I say, Secretary Miller, did President Trump invoke the Insurrection Act? It's been used six times in history most recently in 1963 to desegregate a lunch counter in Arkansas. Most studied when you were a kid to desegregate a high school in the 1950s in Alabama. Yeah. And most notoriously failed in 1861 when Lincoln told South Carolina they could not cede from the Union. Did he invoke the Insurrection Act? The answer was no. I said, okay. Each president and chief executive has unique emergency authorities to declare an emergency. We're currently under a Stafford Act emergency for a national pandemic. Did he invoke an emergency for civil unrest or a riot? No, he didn't do that either. I said, okay, one last quick question. Who's this did, coming did, from? Did, did, did he designate this group a terrorist organization? Unique code of law passed after 9-11. You've served. You understand what happened then. Yeah. That if we designate your group a terrorist organization, we can usurp certain parts of the Posse Comitatus Act, which it prohibits the military from being used for law enforcement, right. as well as other certain Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendment requirements uh, if we need to, in response, stop the advancement of a terrorist attack. The answer was no. And Greg, I said to the, all of them, well, I'm not going because I follow legal, moral, ethical orders. But if what you're asking me to do isn't legal, I can't judge the morality or efficacy of it. And to get back to the media, the media acted like a bunch of clapping seals as we put 26,000 soldiers fully armed in full battle rattle into D.C. And what is tantamount to a coup or an invasion? And only Arizona didn't go. And I said to my wife, no one seems to care that in the greatest republic in the history of the world, we just illegally occupied D.C. And the commander-in-chief didn't and pass the, the order down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, not, I'm scratching my head about that one. It's not delegable. So, you can't delegate right, this authority. Right. A staffer can't decide to do yes, that. Yes, but yes. But that's what happened. That's a, what a happened. A staffer yes, decided yes, to do that. A, a, a guy who had not been confirmed as the Secretary of Defense. And it's ironic because in the eight years leading up to my ultimate decision that day and my wife said i said god's put us in a strange situation never ever ever have we had a 50 50 senate and i said we got to stop this and someone's got to put the department of defense and the rest of them back in the box and the truth of the matter is unless we put somebody there that's been part of that and understands it they're never going to change it and hamilton and jefferson hated each other greg they hated each other but you know what they agreed on Greatest threat to the fledgling republic, 
a large standing army and oppressive taxation. I would argue we have arrived. Yeah, I would as well. I'm just, I, it has nothing to do with whether we were talking before about, you know, can somebody who's in uniform call them out? You bet. Yeah. Can someone who's outside that fraternity call them out? Very hard. No. Yeah. Not possible. Right. The institution is, is the institution itself is bigger than any one person's kind exactly. of power. Exactly. You know, I've, uh, and, and it's, it's, uh, the problem is always money, right? The problem is money. Follow the evil. Right, Follow right. the money and you'll find right, the evil. Right. And you look and you see what's going on is, you see senators hustling to keep programs the military even doesn't want. Even when the military is trying to do the right thing, they can't do the right thing right, half the right. time. We can't get rid of this airplane. You know, the Air Force doesn't want the A-10, no matter how awesome it is. The Air Force doesn't want the A-10. They can't get rid of it. The Army doesn't want the Abrams program. Right. They can't get rid of it. There's one, you know, I can, I, I'm a nobody and I could list 10 programs. You could probably list 100. Right. There's, you know, force assessments. There's threat assessments right. that have gone on completely unaddressed because... There's not a senator championing that spending in their state. Right. Well, um, I guess uh, let's talk a little bit. So where did you grow up? Well, I grew up, uh, I said my family originally from Arizona. My mom and dad went to Tucson High in U of A, and my father commissioned a naval officer. Was a CB in the Navy and uh, was served from 63 to 68. I was born in 65, and uh, he was stationed at Port Wyneme at the time as a CB. Uh, so was born out in California, and then he, like you, separated after some period of time and started his own construction company, a small business, grew that quite successfully. So when I was a kid, I went to school at Arcadia High out in Southern California. Three weeks after high school graduation, went off to the Air Force Academy and started there July 5th of uh, 83. Cool. Um, did you get a chance to, uh, Lindsay gave you a tour today, right? Yeah, it yeah. was outstanding. Unbelievable facility. Did you, meet, did you meet her daughter? Is her daughter here? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance that she was walking out, heading out to school. But uh, Lindsay and I talked about her ambition to commission in the Marine Corps, and I told her I can help her if she needs a letter of recommendation to the Air Force Academy. We'll we'll help her with that. Cool. She's uh, um, you know, Lindsay's just an amazing person, a total badass, and her daughter is just rock solid. You know, if if the greatest thing we can f see as humans is to see our children do better than us. Oh yeah. I think uh, her daughter's on that path. You know, it's a great compliment to all of us right, as parents right. when our kids can right. exceed us. So, um, you see, going to the Senate, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, you know, for me. I have this kind of um, my adult experiences as an executive kind of running my own right. show and the idea for me going to a legislative body would just make me want to swallow a bullet. Tell me a little bit about that. Does your background having to deal with the, you know, like I've got a lot of friends who were high ranking, really successful right. uh, officers in the Air Force, and most of them didn't pick up general. A lot of politics and a lot of. Right getting in the right wake of the right person at the right time. Right. You know, there's, you know more about it than I do. Um, did that arm you well to be able to, or that prepare you well to be able to be, get into a legislative body? Well, I, I think that... Because um, they don't care you're a general. You're one no, of a no, hundred, no, you know? No, so. well, but I, I do think that, go back to what happened on uh, the 8th of January. I was the only one that said no. Go forward to, uh, and I mentioned the 54 adjutants general, 50 states, three territories in the District of Columbia. I was the only one said, no, February 4th rolls around. Biden's been sworn in. His acting Secretary of Defense convenes the same call and says, hey, 
we want to extend the mission. If you remember, at this point, we have three layers of Constantino wire, yeah. triple fencing. Is that still seven there? Mile, no, it's, it's gone. It's gone now. Seven okay. miles shoulder to shoulder. They say we want to extend the mission to June 1st. It's still an illegal occupation. Do you see? God forbid someone had been shot there. How do you explain it? Remember, they didn't even want, you know, Trump, remember when Trump wanted to have a parade? Yeah. <laughs> and they occupied I, I know, I know. That guy, I, I, the irony I, of it is unbelievable. I, it is unbelievable. He just I, wanted to have an awesome parade for yeah, the military. I, 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 <laughs> I just, so, um, so I say, well, it's a moot point for Arizona. We never went. And if you talk about the power of one and good people doing good things and what it will be like to be one of 100 or one of 51, without me lobbying any of the other states or territories, 42 of my colleagues on the 4th of February recalled their guys. That's a big number. There aren't 42 Republican governors out there. Right. And so I think that uh, the same thing will happen in the Senate. You know, people ask me, I'm not a politician. I've never run for dog catcher. But I know this. Uh it is clearly, uh, we're a nation of laws. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. If the action you wish to take is not clearly enumerated and reserved to the federal government, it's a back to the states. It's a states' rights issue. Yeah. The border and national security and sovereignty of our nation is a federal issue. Right. So I say when the somebody said, what are you doing the first 100 days? I will demand that we build the wall that we surveil it and we enforce it you're wearing a hat that says customs and border patrol when i was in the guard i got here in 2001 i retired in 2021 eight years of that as the commanding general of the organization 14 years at variable levels of command from lieutenant colonel colonel one star general two star general four different times during that 20 years we deployed guardsmen to surge badges to the border with border patrol through the entirety of that, Bush, Obama, Trump, we had always asked for additional surveillance capability, additional uh, agents, additional capacity to move, and they never got it. And look at the amount of money we've spent on all the other programs you mentioned, oh, 10 yeah. pro, right? Obscene. Okay, so, so what do you do with the power of one? Somebody asked me about leading the majority and who's the majority leader, I said, I'll be the majority leader. So what do you mean? I said, who's more powerful right now, Kirsten Cinema or Chuck Schumer? Right. Who's more powerful? And, and, Absolutely. And, and when you're the 51st vote, you're yeah. not going to have anybody in the White House that can support you. So you lay down in front of the tracks for one thing. Border security in Arizona is human security. Yeah. It is much more than national security. we got people dying. And and you, I think you, you said, think about it this way with the parade and the other irony of all ironies. I can do these news shows once or twice a week. People ask me about border security. They'll ask me about COVID vaccines. They'll ask me about mandates. And I say, I can't take anything that left is advancing seriously when it is easier to traffic a nine-year-old girl into the sex trade in Yuma than it is, Greg, for you and I to go get lunch in Los Angeles. So you're neither serious about border security or public safety. Goddamn right. Public, it's, Absolutely. It, it, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, 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 I tell people all the time when I, I run into wokey wokesters or they want to come at me and I go, look, you know, you can get on an airplane and you can go on a one day flight and buy a human being in this world. And you're telling me we got to tear down Portland. We got to tear down Kenosha. Like right. you, you honestly think that's, that, that's what we need to do to make our country a better place. That's the, that's your solution. Right. Like there, if you want to be woke and save people, there are real people that need saving, but most of them aren't here.
Right. There's we've got a you know we've got we have the, what's happened while we've been silly as we've become a silly people arguing over silly stuff. The the daily business of running our society has been as is uh, waned. Right. It, it, it's uh, atrophied. Absolutely. We're falling behind scholastically. We're falling behind economically. We're falling behind fiscally. We're falling behind militarily, in my opinion. And falling behind sometimes is letting other people catch up, yeah. you know, even if we're not getting worse. While we're not doing the advancing of our civilization, our culture, Western culture, liberal, uh, personal individualism, accountability, financial self-determinism, all of those things right. that are part of who we are, while we're... While we're screwing around with different signs for bathrooms, all of that's getting left. Sure. Well, yeah, you, 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 know, you mentioned the young lady that is, was leaving to go to high school and how amazing it is this next generation. I was over at a, a college tour lately, and, and I, I asked him at the end of the discussion, I said, hey, you guys talk about all the degrees and all the things that you're doing and helping out kids and giving them an opportunity, and an education is a gateway to great opportunity. I agree. But I can tell you for 38 years in the military, one of the greatest challenges I faced with the young men and women that were serving in the military was a lack of financial literacy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. telling you, when, is, when are we going to teach people that if they don't understand the problem and, and you know, bad behavior begets more bad behavior. Right. You, you're yelling at them about credit card debt and their inability and why they've got all these bills piled up and now they've got uh, problems at home. Never taught basic financial literacy, yet the federal government has already print $5.9 in the last 18 months, and now they want to print another three and a half or whatever their final number they arrive at is. You know, at some point, let's say your country has $100 trillion, okay? It's tied to the productivity of that nation mm -hmm. divided by $100 trillion. Right. That's what it's worth. Right. Okay. And especially since we left the gold standard, since we have money that is basically, you know, everyone says uh, cryptocurrency is not tied to anything. It's phony. I go, you just described the dollar bill. Right. It's not tied to anything except the good faith and credit of the American people, right? right? right. If you double the amount of dollars in circulation and the productivity of a country, let's just say, stays the same, your dollars are worth half as much as they were before. That's right. And look at what's happening. I mean, I, I, I announced you asked about candidacy and what it's like literally very first event very first event i do this guy walks up to me and you know these are the things that you know as a commanding general and an f-16 guy you never really thought about it. he goes i'm an uh i'm a carpenter oh great mm -hmm. nice to meet mm -hmm. you he said it's costing me 60 bucks for a sheet of plywood right now yeah he said on january 1st of this year this was in june it was 18 bucks a sheet. Yep. He said, I can't keep doing what I'm doing at this rate. Right. Like he can't go to you and say, hey, I'm going to do an addition to your factory here. And he quotes you a price of, let's say, 100000 Then two weeks later, he comes in and says, hey, Greg, the price is now 300000 because everything's gone up. Yep. You know. That's exactly time and what's a half, happened. Two times. Yeah. And, 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 and it doesn't, the amount of zeros at the end doesn't mean anything. It, it's all like you said. And, and I think, you know, when you asked about what do you do in the Senate, the one thing that I think most prepared me for being in this kind of position is understanding how the sausage is made in D.C. And when people ask about balancing the budget and the rest, think about it this way. There are about 2.9 million federal employees that live within 50 nautical miles of D.C. They're unionized. 
you go back and look at the history of the U.S., unions were formed to give you protection from onerous uh, employment rules by factory owners. Yeah. Right? Well, in this particular case, the the employer is the federal government, and there's a separate statute that prohibits you from suing the federal government. So why do we unionize 2.9 million people to give them protection against an employer they can't sue? It's to collect their fees and get right. to a party. To make it a job for life. Yeah. And what you got to do is, like we do in every situation, make employment an at-will situation there. That will much more quickly roll back the up and and the other thing i found, I think it changes education right, too right. i mean i think that that idea of um i'm willing to work for you and you compensate me yep. that has to always be the paradigm on which right, our relationship right. exists in any professional capacity right because as soon as that is no longer the case the state triangulates mandatory employment the state triangulates mandatory pay right. it undermines the very thing we all believe in which is if my child works really hard and earned a high A in their physics class, and another kid goofed off, smokes pot, doesn't isn't a serious student, and gets a D minus. And the teacher comes and says, "Hey, I get rated on how many kids pass. I'd like to give one of your letter grades to the D minus, so he gets a C minus. You get a B plus. How's that sound?" Right. There's not a parent or a kid in this country who says, "Gee, that that seems like a good right, idea." Right. Right. Exactly. And we, I, we all know about fairness. We all know right. about real equity. That's not equity. And when you when you end up in that situation, that's why twenty three cents on the dollar that goes from Medford Knives every April fifteenth in income tax, corporate or personal, stays within a fifty nautical mile radius of DC. Think about that. It's a recession proof economy. Right. Doesn't really matter how many zeros no, there they are. Built, they built the five. Right. Right. And so you have just how. Just say that again. So twenty three. You send. I mean, $1 I think everybody in. should hear that. You send one dollar in. On April 15th of 2022, and this may be and ratchet its way up with Biden's plan. Of course it will. But it'll be right now, cents. 23 cents will not leave 50 nautical miles of the capital dome of the United States. Now, look, let's go back to our buddies, Hamilton and Jefferson. If, if Hamilton was the big government guy and Jefferson was the libertine independent states don't really want to have any central government guy. And they agreed about two things. They only agreed about two things. A large standing army. You and I can talk at length about that. And onerous taxation. Right? And onerous taxation. If they were alive today at the podcast, do you not think they would say, wait a second, 23 cents never leaves a 50 nautical mile area of an of a area on the Potomac we designated a swamp. That's why we gave it over. Designated it in the Constitution as a federal district. So when you hear these <laughs> leftists say they want to make it a state, it requires an amendment to the Constitution. And as an Antonin Scalia constitutional conservative, I say, fine, amend the Constitution and we'll discuss it. Until then, it doesn't go through the same process as Guam, Puerto Rico, Arizona as the 48th state into the Union. It isn't the same. Right. And so... Because it's specified. Exactly. It's, not, it's clearly enumerated it's not in the Constitution. Right. Exactly. Right. But those guys did that for a reason. Right. Right? And... I just think that people have forgotten all this. You know, I was at this class at Harvard. I go to graduation. This guy's sitting next to me. He's got a CB pin on. He's he's literally, I bet he's in his 90s. Look at him. I say, hey, sir, nice pin. You, my dad you, was a CB. My dad was a CB. He's like, oh, he's got a super thick Boston accent. 
And, you know, Boston is certainly not the bastion of in home of Elizabeth Warren is not where the Make America Great Again movement found its roots. Right. 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 This guy looks at me and he says, what do you? He says, hey, says, hey where do you think the most uh, Medal of Honor winners have come from after West Point? And I, you know, trick well, question. I say Harvard. He well, says, oh, yeah, you're right. How do you know? I said, well, we're sitting at Harvard and it's a graduation and you're sitting next to me and you sound like you're from Boston. Just, connect, the... just connected a few dots <laughs> yeah, for you yeah. here, boss. Yeah, so he <laughs> says to me, he says, yeah, you know, my, my father was a member of the House of Representatives. And he, so his father, you know, maybe. And he said, yeah, I think the Republic began collapsing in 1913. I said, what are you talking about? I said, it's when they put central air conditioning in the Rayburn building. <laughs> He said, because they never intended for them to spend the whole year there, and they built in a swamp for a reason. And when, and when Trump said he's going to so drain funny. the swamp, here's the problem. Look at what happened on January 8th. Not all swamp creatures, Greg, are dressed in Armani suits. And you better have somebody that understands who's who. All right, so you're a constitutional Republican. Yeah. We like that. Um let me ask you a couple other things. Do you have any, I know a lot of times people show up to office because they've got some issues. Do you have any passion project issues? Uh, you're well, the Second Amendment, I think, is is one of the worst uh, arguments that I've ever heard from the, those of us on the right is about deer hunting. It isn't. No. It has everything to do, freedom as defined in the Constitution, is about protecting your freedom from tyranny of the government. Right. Okay. I, I say this to guys, too. I go, listen, you know, the founders, they just got out of a revolution by an oppressive foreign government. They just had militias. They had citizen soldiers. They got called up. It wasn't like the draft today. They'd hang a sign up, and they need 20 people from West right, Springfield. Right. And, 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 and uh, they, they were real clear. This there, there weren't police to call right, at the time. Right, right. And uh, th this wasn't about deer hunting. They didn't need to put something in the Constitution about deer right, hunting. Right, right. That's how everyone got their right, food. Right, right. And so, <laughs> so, the, so the, the idea that this has something to do with anything other than protecting the citizens from tyranny, tyranny of, the of the government. And again, Washington said he feared tyranny of the majority far worse than he feared tyranny of the individual. Go forward to the time of Antonin Scalia. He writes, the Second Amendment pretexts the Constitution. What does that mean, Greg? It's like you said, it's that it was an assumed it's thing. Foundational. That it, 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 we assumed it when we formed the it, Republic. It was assumed so much that everyone said, you know, if you want us to sign this, you didn't put that anywhere, so let's make sure we put it there. Right, because we'll be dead someday, and, and we want to make sure that and, Greg and Mick don't forget this. And it wasn't the Ninth Amendment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the... They said, you know, hey, we got a couple things here. The, God, the the king can take your wife and he can tell you where to go. So First Amendment, we need that one. The second one is the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Yeah. And it's funny. It wasn't the 11th Amendment. It wasn't the third. It was the second. Yeah. You, you have the right to gather as a people, pray to God of your choosing, and the right to keep and bear arms. Right, right. And it, I, it wasn't, you know what I'm saying? It right. wasn't. It wasn't like kind of, and, it was a seminal, it was the seminal thing of, of the founding of right. our country. Right, and I tell people in in this community, uh, in this great state of Arizona, not in the Second Amendment community, that it is the whole Second Amendment that matters. A well-regulated militia being necessary to sustain a free state, your right to bear arms shall not be infringed. That first part says very clearly that we, the people, have the power 
to both consent to be governed, to determine the way that we're governed, and to use these processes enshrined in the Constitution to protect what is the greatest republic in the history of the world. But that insurance policy is the Second Amendment. And the problem is you have people uh, walking around claiming it has something to do with deer hunting, which is the furthest thing from the truth. No, we need to school each other on that. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad you say it. You know, it's funny when you say it has a different gravitas because I've never heard somebody who was in leadership in the Arizona National Guard or any other National Guard kind of talk this issue. Right. It's a real issue, but you actually, I'm sure, <coughs> oh, something's got to me. Uh, you know, you sounds like you've made some decisions and informed yourself because you sat in that top position here in Arizona right. where you're like, you know, what does this really mean? Yeah, and it's I got more gravitas. And, and, and I think that, you know, we need to think deeply about this idea of a large standing army. Article one, section eight says that we will maintain we will raise an army and we will maintain a navy. We use different verbs for a reason. Right. Doesn't we were say, only, it doesn't say we'll maintain we, an army. It doesn't say we'll maintain an army. And and I tell people <clears throat> my assessment this is Mick McGuire's version of US history. Nineteen forty seven, the National Defense Authorization Act is signed. The most memorable portion of that incident was the divorce between the Army and the Air Force. Now, I'm a fifth-generation military officer. First three prior to my dad, all Army. My dad, Navy, I'm Air Force. I show up at the Air Force Academy in the summer of 83. We're not that far removed from 1947. And there's still a lot of tension about any divorce. What do you always talk about? <clears throat> the kids. But what got lost in the divorce was the fine print. And in the fine print, we shoved the Secretary of the Army, or we created the Secretary of the Army out of whole cloth from the War Department. Imagine how you would have felt about the last 20 years if you had heard a press briefing every week from the Secretary of War without a declaration of war. Think about that. Right. Right? So you shove the Secretary, you create the Secretary of the Army, shove him next to the existing Secretary of Navy, put him under a secretary of defense, and now you start an arms race internal Between to the, the branches. country. Yes, because it's like having kids and Christmas presents. You talk about programs, right? And in 1961, Eisenhower warned us about the defense industrial complex and how this was growing in a way that he was concerned. And when people say, well, you know, peace through strength, you talk about all that stuff. The idea of raising an army and calcifying our resolve still exists, but the idea of having 10 standing divisions of soldiers all the time in garrison with only three of them being able to get out the door in the next 72 hours, that think of the meter never stops running. Right. And the army's burning 72 cents on the dollar on personnel costs. And it doesn't matter what your background is. If you don't have the background like you or I sitting on the other side of the dice and taking to task those you can't guys, do the critique. You're, you're not. You can't. You you can't do it. So what you're saying is, if you run for, uh, if you were to run for president, you'd get shot. Is what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. What I'm saying is, when I get there no, and get I, on the other yeah. side of the dais, that's why, because it is the military that is consuming much of disc the discretionary spending, and it's just like the at will employees in the in the uh, broader federal bureaucracy, right? All of that is where much of this money is going. And you can't run an army if 72 cents on the dollar goes to personnel costs before you buy a single knife, a single weapon, a single warhead, 
because ultimately our mission is to put warheads on foreheads. That's what we do. Yeah. Well, um, it'll, it'll, you know, it, it'll be interesting for you if you make it there. And I think you, you know, you got a year coming up. You got a lot, there's a lot of road to chew up between now and yep. then. Talk to me a little bit about your uh, competition you've got uh, that you're uh, running against right now. I know there's currently, I think, eight people in the race. Um, yeah, I, th <coughs> I think Excuse there's me. actually a whole bunch on the on the website. There's basically, um, I'm up against uh, the current AG, uh, who's Bronovich. won. Yeah. He's run statewide twice. Uh, former member of the guard. Uh, was a JAG officer over there. Um, uh, he's currently uh, in the AG's position, so I've certainly got a lot of name recognition. Um, and then I'm up against a couple of guys that are self-funders, a young man named Blake Masters, who's uh, out of Tucson, who was uh, worked in the tech industry with Peter Thiel, uh, and then a guy named Jim Lehman, who uh, is a solar company executive. The guys at CNN said to me, you're up against uh, the guy who's won statewide twice and two self-funders. What's your advantage? The CNN reporter. I said, well, the question answers itself. He said, what? He said, we've never elected a self-funder to statewide office, governor, senator, in the history over 100 years of this great state. And if we had such an appetite for previously elected officials, why have three of the four of us never run for dog catcher? He looked at me and said, wait a minute. You're the only guy that's not a self-funder that's never run for office? I said, you see how easy it is to work at CNN? <clears throat> <laughs> don't even have to do their homework <laughs> so yeah so i'm out that's why i'm out every day i'm literally grassroots in it Twenty five thousand miles and coming up on 22 weeks been 13 times to yavapai county eight times to yuma county six times to mojave county eight times to gila county 12 events in pinal county four in graham four in cochise going again tomorrow to cochise county uh mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. You know, just, you know, saturate from a strategy standpoint the 13 rural counties and build on that base. Spend every minute between basically February and the primary day in uh, Maricopa and Pima in the suburbs to build the mass of the army. But we're going to raise a two million man and woman army, says I pick Mick. And if it's about raising an army and maintaining a navy, we're going to raise an army. Okay. All right. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's a... <laughs> There's a group of folks out there. I don't know. Has Trump weighed in an endorsement yet? No. Okay. I, I mean, I imagine at some point he will. He's uh, savvy enough that he kind of waits till there's actually some real polling. It's there's there's somebody who's got a right. shot at it before he he opens his mouth. Right. Um, do you want his endorsement? I would love to have the president's endorsement. Okay. But at the same time, I'm clear to doing whatever we need to do. I uh, you know I've been asked about this a couple of times and i keep saying look uh we need them all to raise an army of two million yep and the day i uh the day i was asked about uh getting in they asked me they said uh you know just one last question general who's the leader of the republican party and i said the republican party is a group of state rights constitutional conservatives and in the great state of arizona on november 8th at the top of the ballot it's going to say mick mcguire versus mark kelly i'm the leader of the republican party reporters left-leaning arizona republic looks at me and says you are you just announced six hours ago i said can you disprove it I'm the commanding general of the largest mobilization of the guard since 1942 can you disprove it I said, well no i i guess i can't 
said, well, what do you think President Trump will say about that? I said, I hope he says good. Saves him some trips from Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> I don't know if there's any other way to deal with it. I mean, we certainly need him. We want him. Yeah. And uh, he gets in in 2024. We'll be there. But, you know, how he weighs into this race at this time, we'll work through that. Well, listen, you, you've got um, more of a gentleman's polish than he does. He's a classic uh, He's a classic New Yorker guy, and, you know, New Yorker guys don't do well in the rest of the country typically. He just happened to be a celebrity when he showed up. I called it for him even before Ann Coulter did. I said, he's the guy we need to start going through the temple with a bullwhip yeah, and kick, yeah. kicking tables over. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and I think our government needs, you know, that's the thing. I'm not a reconciliation guy right now. I'm looking for somebody to burn burn and, and kick and slash yeah. and push. Um, you know, one of the arguments that I have, <clears throat> I talk politics all the time. I live, I kind of live a very politically engaged civilian life. Uh, one of the things that's re resonated the most with the people that I debate, argue, prod, and poke, and talk with, especially their wives, and I drive the wives crazy, is talking about their sons going off to war. Mm -hmm. And it's been one of my concerns because I feel like uh, my country hasn't earned my son's skin at this moment. Sure. It, we've been derelict in It's a huge duty. problem. And uh, we want a country that we're okay sending our sons and daughters off to, as awful as that sounds. We want a country that has earned that right to ask that big ask. And one of the things that I really push, and, and it, it is middle and upper class white women who are really hard to keep on the rails because their hearts are really involved in their voting. And one of the things I talk about is sending our sons and our grandsons off to war. Mm -hmm. The weakness, because we don't like somebody the weakness because we want somebody more genteel the weakness that as a country we're projecting is setting ourselves up for more conflict the more strength that we have in our politicians yep. the more strength that we have in our military not its size its veracity and willingness yep. if we have a razor sharp uh voracious military half of its current size that's doing the most modern things and we're not being outdone by anybody i think that's better projecting our strength absolutely uh, than putting feckless leadership in uh you know here we go again we've got the president biden the i say always say president quotes with him we've got the biden politburo is drawing lines in the sand with what we'll do around the ukraine and i'm like <laughs> This is this reminds me of Syria and Obama. It's the same kind of, you know, you're really not going to do anything. Don't threaten anybody. Right. You didn't you didn't even tell your allies you were leaving Afghanistan in the middle of the night. You and, wouldn't even and, condemn Hamas when they were rocketing Israel. Right. And you won't even stop riots in your own cities. You're going to come defend Taiwan. Right. Right. I mean, Taiwan knows better. You want to know what's going on? All you have to do is look at the amount of businesses coming to Arizona, California, and Utah from uh Taiwan. You know, Taiwan's building the biggest semiconductor factory in the world, five miles up the road from here. Yep. And they're not calling it Arizona Semiconductor. They're not calling it United States Semiconductor. They're calling it Taiwan Semiconductor. Right. They're hedging their bets. We all need to be paying attention. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I you're, a, you're exactly right. And what we're facing right now is, you know, you, you made the comment about that we're looking for strong leaders. We need strong leaders at every level, in the White House, in the Senate. And while I agree with you, my skills uh, as a commanding general, I think we need great leaders at every level, great leaders at every level. But here's what we got to do. 
You know, when I said to you, I sense there's a sense of fear, a sense of abandonment, and a sense of what's next. Now, those emotions can go one of two ways. It can either devolve into rage, or we can channelize it into raising an army. And, and what I tell people is, when we win, not if we win, but when we win the 51st vote in the U.S. Senate, we're going to spend two years between then and 24 holding the beach and teaching the Republicans how to play tackle football with knives instead of badminton. Because every single time the Republicans get in control of the House and Senate, they play badminton. Yeah, they get all amicable. Right, they're like, oh, we want to make a deal. And remember, go back to the idea of standing as one of 51. Eventually, enough of them are going to join me. And someone says, well, you, you said you were I said I wasn't do one thing. I was going to secure the funding to build a wall, surveil it, and enforce it. I didn't promise you anything else. Because that's as much as we can get right now. But if we don't do that, we don't have a country. If complete anarchy is already beginning to spread in places like Chicago and San Francisco, and you cannot maintain good order and discipline without law enforcement, you can't defund the police and have law and order. Right. You can't. You can't have a sovereign nation and have no border. And you can't be a serious world actor if those two things are happening at home and you claim you're going to float a bunch of young men and women across the ocean into Taiwan. Right. And Taiwan knows better. Disingenuous. And right. Everybody knows right. it. Yeah. So you, Your own house is burning. So, How so are you going to help me? That's what we do. We just say, mm -hmm. look, no, we're holding the line. This is, this is no longer a battle of left versus right. This is right versus wrong. It's not left versus right. right. The radical left has abandoned anybody in the middle, any, quote, blue dog Democrat. There's no home for them there. The radical left wants total control. People say, well, what do they want? They want total control of your children, your resources, your thought, and your gunpowder. And your travel. All for the amazingly low price, Greg, of a place to live. Marginal health care, but you can never talk to your neighbor again. Don't go to church. Don't talk to anybody around you. It's been an amazing shift over the last 25 years. I know. Uh, to see the Republican Party go from um, the kind of country club Republican Party that's been the tradition for so long and has been easy to play class warfare, the blue the blue collar voter, and play them against mm -hmm. a lot. Oftentimes their boss's right. uh, demographic. You've seen the very, very top echelon of that country club, country club Republican sect slip over into the Hollywood country club Republican part. They're, they're in the Democrat Party now. Right. And the Democrat Party is representing just nothing but radicalism. And everybody who is a Democrat before should be migrating over to the conservative tent. Yep. Yep. Because everything that they believe in, we really do believe in. Um, a lot of our, I want to see kind of, Hester Prim kind of religious prudishness that kind of went along with the Republican Party. A lot of that of the last hundred years has really kind of melted away. The mm -hmm. party's evolved a lot, right? Uh, and still, I think holding the line on on abortion, but dropped a lot of other judgment and kind of holier than thou stuff that just didn't come off well for the main sure. of, of America. Sure, with the, the the Republican Party's evolved, and in my opinion, it is uh, it is a place where if you are a union member of uh, almost any company 
anywhere in this country, you should be a Republican. You should not be a Democrat. It doesn't make any right, sense right, at all. Right, and, and because you, you, you value hard work. You understand that you're accountable, and, and you know and, this as and, a guy and, in a formation. And, and you want somebody looking out for the industry that you're in, not comfortable sending your job away. Right, and you, you knew this. You talked about it in your Veterans Day address. When you served in the military, you loved being part of the greatest team you'd ever been a part of. You loved it, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And, and how do we build great teams? Through a myriad of building great followers and then great leaders. And great leaders understand this. I'm no more or less important than any other member of the team. I just have a different set of duties, authorities, and responsibilities. And you're talking about country club Republicans and the migration of the radical left. They don't even know what it costs for a sheet of plywood right now. Right. They, they have no idea. They don't even know what a sheet of plywood is, let alone what it costs and what you would use it for. And so when you get to that point, you you mentioned, you know, agrarian roots and understanding people today actually believe that the lettuce you buy at the market comes from the lettuce factory. <laughs> I, they actually you, believe that. You know, it was, I got a f very quick, funny anecdote, and I know you're a busy man and have plenty of things to do. Uh, I was talking to my son and... Uh, we talk a lot of politics. My daughter and my son, we talk a lot of politics. Around my house in general, there's a lot of politics. But my boy Jack, we had gone to a company, and I wanted him to meet the principal of the company and meet the employees, get a chance to walk through another factory. You know, it's good for him to see, you know, not just our place, other places as well. So I brought him along on a little day trip with Dad. And uh, as we walked out, we saw some a contractor and there were some electricians out in the back doing electrical work behind the building and everybody had trump stickers on their cars <laughs> and so you know my son and i were taking the long walk back to my car and we were chatting and i said so you know what was your thing you learned you know what was your most interesting thing he goes well he goes i learned a lot of stuff but the most interesting thing to me he goes i've been noticing maybe over the last year since the last since school we didn't have school he says it seems like guys that work really like Trump and everybody else doesn't. <laughs> and I just thought it was one of the most out of the mouths, mouths of babes salient sure. things I'd heard, you know, yeah. guys that work. I always want to start a guys that work. Right. He's a, the, doing the blue collar billionaire and he did it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. And, and, you know, I think that, I think the guy off, you know, I think he's authentic. I think he's exactly who he says he is. Right. I don't think there's any, right. he's, he's not right. put up a front for anybody. Listen, as you go out and do this, um, you, this is a competitive field. There's a lot of people out hustling. Everybody's bringing something to the table. And you guys all in this race um, is what makes the race worth doing. Right. So that the the hopefully the best ideas win, the best communication of ideas win. Yeah. Um, this is the free market, the marketplace Absolutely. of ideas Absolutely. competing. Um, I would, uh, you know, I saw you speak at the uh, Turning Point thing with Trump yep. a couple months back. Yeah, that was back in July. Mm -hmm. um, I think your personal engagement is way better than your group. Yep. Um, I think, um, you know, leaving your collar unbuttoned and I think your smile is better. <laughs> I think not being a stiff general is better. I think civilians, it doesn't stick as well with yeah. them as it does yeah. with military sure. guys. Um, I think you got a shot for it if you communicate your ideas and, you know, um, you know, you just got to remember most of your audience hasn't read uh, any of the Tocqueville or 
<laughs> well, uh, they, they, hopefully they've read the Constitution. If most they haven't. haven't. I know. Most I know. Haven't. we got to get them back into that. Most haven't. And and uh, so we have to make these simple arguments about the Constitution yeah. that make so much sense. And, and we also, you know, we have to remember all of these people when you pull them and explain them and they don't need the the textbook knowledge from the background right they test conservative they all do oh yeah when we talk the issues we lose people when we talk the ideas we gain people right and the ideas are where we connect with human beings so well and the issues it's everybody wants to own the goddamn issue and they don't right. want to fix the problem right right and that's the you know one of the big thing i see from politicians they get sucked into their um I see it with uh, I see it with the folks that have been on my show. I see it with politicians. Uh, I talk to them on the side. They've got great ideas and they communicate really well. And then their handlers are already shaping them, and they yeah. just turn into blah. I would just my only advice to thine own self be true. And uh, oh yeah, my the I was at this speed dating event with two hundred and fifty uh, Republican women here in the East Valley. That's an odd way to do to frame it. Okay, eight, just eight, hold eight, on, eight, hold on. I want to picture that just for a second. So there's okay, go ahead. eight enclaves. <laughs> And at one of these uh, stops, a woman asked me. She says, uh, a "General, who's your like, who's your who's your consultant? Who's who's telling you, like, who's giving you advice? Who's telling you what to say?" I said, "God." And the mouthpiece is my wife. <laughs> and she looked at me and I said, I, "I said literally the rest of my team, and we have a great team, is doing things. Signature collection." Working, helping me get set right. up to we're, raise we're funds. Not around, we're that. not sitting around figuring right. out what I think. We're, we're not. Yeah, we, we don't say. <laughs> what do you think about this? We know that he's going to give you an opinion about any topic. So the guy's already there, and we're hearing from you. Um, the, your team is the implementation of your tactic. Yeah, for exactly, exactly. And, and you know, it's it's funny. I. It, I don't know. It sounds like you supported Trump when he was. And you know, yeah. he, look, and he's part of the I conversation called, right now. I called now. his win in uh, February of sixteen. I said he was going to win in February of sixteen. So um, what's fascinating is I just I think I, I talked to a lot of lefties who didn't like him, and more importantly, a lot of moderates who just yeah. were turned off. And I said, mm -hmm. listen, you know, and especially they're mad about what he says. They're mad mm -hmm. about his tweets. They're right. mad about his speaking his mind. Right. And I said. You know what's fascinating? I, I would tell my friends, I said, you know, we're about the same age. In the last 55 years, you've never heard a president actually tell you what's on his mind. Right. Never. Right. Not once. Right. And now we're turned off. We got a guy who will actually say what's on his mind. That's the difference. Right. He's not doing some, uh, this is not a George Washington University uh, compressed uh, panel of three people who wrote his position. The guy's telling you what he thinks. Exactly. I found it uh, clunky and refreshing. And sure. I loved it. Sure. Well, I, I think authenticity will rule the day in the Absolutely. body politic. You Absolutely. Know, you, you made the comment about there aren't that many people that read the Constitution. I look, put it this way. They leave with a feeling. And you made the comment earlier. We need great leaders. They say, you know, I might not even agree with them about everything, but I'll follow that guy. I'll follow that right. guy. Right. That's what that's what's coming down to. Well, um, I hope that your strategy is successful. I hope you uh, employ a good. Uh, I hope you employ a good, um, good uh, battlefield plan, and I hope your team with you uh, come is is uh, along and supports you well. I love seeing. Um, I love seeing people. It's interesting to watch the process as yeah. somebody becomes whether they're a general or usually successful business person. Um, usually, people are comfortable talking about what they want to do. I love watching the process over the course of 12, 14, 16, 18 months to becoming a winning yeah. uh, 
contender. It's amazing. I've you know, first quarter was just learning to get dressed in the right uniform. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this this one we're showing up on time and making sure we're in the right place and coming into uh, January third quarter of this thing we're going to be running running hard yeah it's um i i i I liken it very much to fighters um when i've watched fighters go from being walk-ins to being professional level Mm -hmm. and i've had a chance to fight with both and when you see people are at that professional level fighting who go through that crucible to getting there that last year before they have their first big fight there's a an amazing transformation and honing of skills right that deploys them as a human being. It's interesting to see that fight. I see that you've got, you know, what I really like about you in my very brief time with you is you've got a clear place where you're headed and who you are and what you want to do. Uh, and I've sensed the hesitancy from the other candidates I've talked to, to talk policy, to talk strategy, to talk issues. They're trying to, they're doing what their handlers are telling them to do, kind of hang out vague, stay vague. We don't want anything used against us. Well, people have asked, are you going to like pivot to the middle? I'll do this podcast the day before the general election and say the exact same thing. All right. Well, good. We're going to have you back for it. I'm 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 telling you, that's that's what you need. You need somebody says, no, I I haven't changed. Right. This is still the number one issue. The border is the number one issue that is a federal responsibility. Biden is derelict in his duty. Mark Kelly is enabling him. We'll send him back to space. Bezos needs a driver anyway. So. Let him take Bezos. Perfect. All right? Yeah. Hey, great having you here. Thanks, brother. Mick, pleasure meeting you. you. God bless uh, all your uh, viewers and listeners. Remember, leave them with a message of hope. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But while you're pulling air and you're in the foxhole, it's about faith and hope and the people around you. We're going to raise that army, brother. All right. I appreciate you being here. Thanks Thanks. so much. You take care. Hey, everybody. So uh, that's what it looks like sitting down, talking to somebody who's a year out from election. I'll be fascinated to have him come back and watch him on his journey. And uh, if you guys are uh, Arizonans, of course, tune in and see what's happening. Where can they donate if they uh, want to make a Go to electmick or ipickmick.com. It'll direct you to the same point. ipickmick.com. M-I-C-K. 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 So if you guys want to make a contribution to his campaign, um, you guys are going to watch. I'm going to bring folks coming in who are in this campaign for the seat. I love getting a chance to ask questions, get thoughtful responses. Uh, and I like not talking in platitudes. I like getting specifics out of folks. It's, uh, it is a great pleasure and is one of the great honors of a republic to be able to sit down in this modern era as the press has fallen on its face, as the press has betrayed all of us, as the third leg of the milk stool, right? This is a three-legged milk stool that makes us all work. One leg is us, the people. The second leg is that group of people that we've relinquished a little of our freedoms to to help manage the team. And the third are the honest brokers who stand on the sideline. They're the third leg of the stool, and they, they speak truth to power, and they're not doing it anymore. So to be able to do this as one of the citizens and uh and interact with who uh, someone who may step be stepping into the leadership class it's uh there's very few countries where you can do this it's an amazing it's amazing privilege as an american to do it you guys get to participate in it with us and thanks for being here so uh from you know uh the greg medford show i'm gonna get back to work i'm out